Like many of you, I first encountered Ayan Hersey Ali through new atheists like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris, both of whom were great admirers and enthusiastically promoted her work. Hitchens called her the most important public intellectual probably ever to come out of Africa. Ayan Hersey Ali has overcome more hardship than most of us have ever faced, and I want to emphasize my respect for her before I begin criticizing her recent article, Why I Am Now a Christian. The Mogadishu-born activist is a powerful advocate for the self-determination of Muslim women, vocally opposing forced marriage, honor killing, and female genital mutilation, which she herself suffered at the age of five in Somalia. After receiving political asylum in the Netherlands at age 23, she went on to become an elected member of the Dutch parliament. In 2004, still in the Netherlands, she collaborated on a short film with Theo van Gogh, which was highly critical of the treatment of women under Islamic law. Not long after the film's release, van Gogh was butchered by a young Muslim named Mohamed Bouyeri in the street, who after killing him, pinned a letter to van Gogh's body with a knife, a letter that contained a death threat aimed at Ayan Hirsi Ali. But the violent murder of her collaborator and consistent death threats over the years didn't cause her to back down in the slightest. Her harsh condemnation of Islam has been unwavering. In her view, Muslims around the world need to embrace liberal values like freedom of speech, equal rights for women, and the wall of separation that enables religious freedom. Naturally, the Southern Poverty Law Center labeled Ayan an anti-Muslim extremist. The SPLC eventually retracted their list of anti-Muslim extremists, but only after Majid Nawaz threatened legal action over his inclusion on the list. Ayan also lived as an atheist for about 20 years. As she explained in her 2007 essay, How and Why I Became an Infidel, the only position that leaves me with no cognitive dissonance is atheism. I remember hearing that for the first time. It made an impression on me and it succinctly described my own state of mind. I still find myself paraphrasing it occasionally. In the same piece, she also muses, quote, a religion of talking serpents in heavenly gardens? Christian magical thinking appeals to me no more than my grandmother's angels and jinns. So what changed? Well, um, less than you might think. Her essay begins, quote, In 2002, I discovered a 1927 lecture by Bertrand Russell entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. It did not cross my mind as I read it that one day, nearly a century after he delivered it in the South London branch of the National Secular Society, I would be compelled to write an essay with precisely the opposite title. Although her article self-consciously mirrors the title of Russell's lecture, she provides no argument in defense of Christianity. As Ayan herself explains it, her main reason for being a Christian isn't belief in the truth of Christianity. It's because of what she thinks Christianity could accomplish politically. She believes it is the best available weapon against the illiberal forces at work today. In her view, Islam, China, Russia, and wokeness. Quote, why do I call myself a Christian now? And keep in mind, I'm not skipping anything here. This is what directly follows, why do I call myself a Christian now? Part of the answer is global. Western civilization is under threat from three different but related forces. The resurgence of great power authoritarianism and expansionism in the forms of the Chinese Communist Party and Vladimir Putin's Russia. The rise of global Islamism, which threatens to mobilize a vast population against the West. And the viral spread of woke ideology which is eating into the moral fiber of the next generation. We endeavor to fend off these threats with modern, secular tools, military, economic, diplomatic, and technological efforts to defeat, bribe, persuade, appease, or surveil. And yet, with every round of conflict, we find ourselves losing ground. We are either running out of money, or we are losing our lead in the technological race with China. The only credible answer, I believe, 
lies in our desire to uphold the legacy of the Judeo-Christian tradition. To be blunt, this is the most inane conversion story I have ever read. I mean, on a certain level, I can see why Christians are happy about her transition, but an obvious question presents itself. Why are Christians celebrating her conversion, despite the fact that A, she doesn't seem to believe any of it, and B, she emphasizes her political motives over anything to do with Jesus or the Gospels. She mentions wokeness more than Jesus in her conversion story. The word Jesus appears in her article zero times. There's not the slightest indication of sincere belief. To anticipate a few common objections, note a few things that were not stated in her article. She did not assert that Christian belief can be rational in the absence of arguments, in the same vein as Alvin Plantinga. She does not claim to have ever had a religious experience or felt the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. She doesn't claim to have taken Pascal's wager. She doesn't affirm Kierkegaard's leap of faith. So while each of those ideas have their merits and could inspire an interesting discussion, she didn't say any of that. As far as I can tell, she is currently not a believer in the literal truth of Christianity. To be clear, she has deeply held convictions. She doesn't believe in Christianity. She believes in Western civilization. As Ian Baruma once labeled her, she's an Enlightenment fundamentalist who thinks this is the best way to save the West from destruction. Rod Dreher, in an article for the European Conservative, maintains a cautious optimism in Ayan's trajectory, hopeful that she'll eventually move into a less instrumental, more orthodox form of Christian belief. Quote, On a London stage, the world's most famous Muslim apostate was announcing a second conversion, this time away from atheism and to Christianity. The awkward language the soft-spoken Hirsi Ali deployed to proclaim her faith, today I am proudly of Judeo-Christian religion caused some in the crowd to wonder if she truly was a Christian. Last week, Hirsi Ali clarified her stance somewhat, saying straightforwardly that she is a Christian, but it didn't help much. Why not? Because the reasons she gave for her conversion were instrumental. She declared that Christianity is the only force capable of resisting three key threats to Western civilization, wokeness, Islam, and great power authoritarianism and expansionism, meaning China and Russia. End quote. Now, her conversion was not only celebrated by absolute clowns like David Wood, it was also hailed by more respectable people like Justin Brierley, who called her story extraordinary, celebrating that a leading voice in new atheism had converted, adding that this confirms the thesis of his book, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. But other Christians have been a little more tentative, like Randall Rouser, pun intended, or Eric Manning of the Testify YouTube channel. Here's what Eric wrote in a community post on his channel. Quote, I'm not trying to gatekeep, but I don't see anything in Ali's testimony that indicates more than her acceptance of some form of cultural Christianity. If she believes that Jesus rose from the dead and has confessed him as her Lord, then that's awesome. However, I observe too many Christians latching onto this as if they've just witnessed Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins convert. In a recent interview with Jordan Peterson, she doesn't seem to take the supernatural claims of the Bible seriously. Just search it out for yourself. I get seeing someone who is part of the New Atheism side cross the aisle seems cool and all, but this conversion appears to be more about her rebellion against extreme liberal wokeism than anything else. If it turns into more than that, or I'm wrong, then great. If that makes me a wet blanket, then I'm sorry. End quote. So, many atheists have had a roughly similar take. As Richard Dawkins concludes his open letter to her, No, Ion, you are not a Christian. You are just a decent human being who mistakenly thinks you need a religion in order to remain so. With my love, Richard. On a personal note, I'll say that I relate to something she mentioned in a recent conversation about religion. 
She said that her embrace of atheism was in large part a rejection of Islam. After all, that was her primary way of understanding religion and the divine. I think something similar is true of all of us. You might have become firm in your conviction that God doesn't exist, or does exist, at some point in time, but inevitably that conviction was formed in a particular dialectical context. I was, and still am certain, that young earth creationism, biblical literalism, infernalism, and so on are not true. But I used to think that it followed, pretty much without caveat, that Christianity was not true. Everyone else was kidding themselves, treating their watered-down form of liberal Christianity like it was anything other than a denial of real, unadulterated Christianity. I no longer think that's the case, and it sounds like Ayan went through something sort of similar. She accepted atheism because she rejected Islam, but now, after becoming more familiar with different forms of religion, she sees things differently. I relate to that. I'm a lot more agnostic than I was when I first deconverted. So the closest she comes to making an argument beyond political utility against her cultural and geopolitical enemies is an appeal to life's meaning. She states plainly that she could find no meaning in life as an atheist. Quote, Yeah, I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realization that atheism is too weak and divisive a doctrine to fortify us against our menacing foes. I've also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable. Indeed, very nearly self-destructive. Atheism failed to answer a simple question. What is the meaning and purpose of life? So, I don't think she's making an argument here. I think she's confessing her frailty, as Christians often do, admitting the necessity of leaning on something or someone that transcends this world just to make it through. I have no desire whatsoever to upbraid her for that. She says that she found life without spiritual solace, quote, unendurable. It doesn't sit right with me to attack someone who's confessing their weakness. A former non-believer telling us that their life would not be worth living if they didn't believe. If we're taking her words at face value, then we shouldn't be flippant about what it might mean for her if life once again became unendurable, setting her on a self-destructive path. Though, to be honest, it's a little hard to see that part of her essay as a moment of true vulnerability. In the midst of an unabashedly instrumental affirmation of a religion that she doesn't seem to believe is true, I think it's fair to question her sincerity. In The Republic, Plato discusses the noble lie a myth knowingly propagated by elites to maintain order and social harmony. Once you endorse the practice, it obviously becomes harder to trust anything you say. On social media, I claimed that Ion's article contained zero arguments, which some people pushed back on. They read her as making an argument from meaning. So, if we're interpreting her charitably, she's saying something approximately like this. One, if God doesn't exist, life is meaningless. Two, life is not meaningless. Therefore, God exists. The reason I think this is the better way of interpreting her argument is that the alternative is kinda silly. Life is unendurable as an atheist. Anything that makes life unendurable can't be true. Therefore, atheism is false. Needless to say, there are obvious counterexamples to this. If everyone you ever loved perished tomorrow, you might find life unendurable, but that obviously wouldn't make it the case that they were alive. Again, I don't think she's making an argument of any kind, nor do I think she's affirming a pragmatic theory of truth, though who knows, maybe she will farther down the line. On that point, consider the fact that even her pragmatic appeal never explicitly makes the final step. Christianity is useful, therefore Christianity is true in some sense. She never actually makes a pragmatic argument or defends a pragmatism-inspired notion of truth. She only claims that life as an atheist was untenable, and that Christianity is an effective cudgel against the enemies of the Enlightenment. 
So if we're reading her as making some kind of argument for the existence of God, then until we have more information about her thought process, I think we should understand her as making an argument from atheism's inability to accommodate a datum of our world, namely that life has meaning. However, her leap from the falsity of nihilism to the truth of theism, let alone Christianity, is extraordinarily hasty. Most atheists are not nihilists. The reason is that nihilism is completely absurd, and the minority who profess to believe it rarely seem to understand what they're saying. I mean, surely there's at least subjective meaning to be found in life. In any event, I'm not disputing the premise that life has meaning, even objective meaning. Rather, I'm disputing the notion that life would be meaningless without God. As theologian Randall Rouser explains, quote, Even if atheism as such is too weak to fortify us, it doesn't follow that atheistic belief systems are. This is a point I explain at some length in The Doubter's Creed, and if we're doing plugs, you can listen to my interview with Rouser about that book. Unfortunately, Ali seems to have fallen into a straw man here by assuming that there are no metaphysically and ethically robust non-theistic accounts of absolute reality and human flourishing. Atheism as such is just the denial that God exists. It doesn't aim to provide meaning and purpose, but it doesn't follow that atheistic belief systems all fail to do this. Ali's reasoning is equivalent to saying that if you remove the engine, in other words, God, from a gas-powered car, our worldview, you can't go anywhere. But the proper comparison is not between the car with the engine and the car without the engine. Rather, it is the car with the engine versus the car with another power source. And if you're unaware of the possibilities for non-theistic sources of ultimate meaning and purpose, that just underscores the point. Do your homework before making an unjustified conclusion. Again, see the Doubter's Creed for further discussion. So to conclude, while I'm delighted to hear about another conversion, that should not keep us from providing an honest and unvarnished critical response to the reasons given. Apologetics that quickly and uncritically embraces a weak apologetic conversion story may gain a short-term victory, but it does so at the cost of its long-term credibility. End quote. Regardless of whether or not God exists, some things are intrinsically good, things that are valuable in themselves, not in virtue of something else, like God's approval or God's nature. For example, excruciating pain is bad in itself. We don't need to find out what God thinks about it to discover whether excruciating pain is good or bad. It doesn't depend on God, just like basic logical truths don't depend on God. Meta-ethical views in this general ballpark, namely that there are objective evaluative facts in addition to objective descriptive facts, have been explicated at length by philosophers like Michael Humer, Russ Schaefer-Landau, Eric Wielenberg, Shelley Kagan, and many other competent defenders of objective morality and meaning who make no reference to God. Following in the footsteps of virtually every Christian apologist ever, she makes no attempt to refute them. In the Nicomachean Ethics, Aristotle maintains that eudaimonia, or well-being and flourishing, is the highest good for humans. A eudaimonic life is objectively desirable, though we may disagree on what leads to eudaimonia. He attributes some of this disagreement to a lack of wisdom on the part of those who think the eudaimonic life consists in, quote, some plain and obvious thing, like the pursuit of wealth and pleasure. Aristotle, even though he was a theist of some variety, didn't seem to think that the goodness of eudaimonia depended on God in the way that divine command theorists think goodness depends on God. It's just intrinsically good. Relatedly, he believed the universe was imbued with teleology and purpose, and at least on many plausible interpretations, that these aims and ends were independent of the gods. You can find contemporary discussions of teleological views like this in Thomas Nagel's Mind and Cosmos and Philip Goff's Why, the Purpose of the Universe. 
Though, ultimately, I'm only criticizing Ion's argument for the truth of Christianity, if we're reading it that way. If we don't read her as making an argument from meaning, well, then first of all, there are exactly zero arguments for the truth of Christianity in her conversion story. And again, there's also no appeal to religious experience, planning a style reformed epistemology, Kierkegaard's leap of faith, Pascal's wager, etc. This is more than a little odd considering the title, but it also seems to suggest that she doesn't think any good arguments for the truth of Christianity exist. Perhaps more importantly, if she is confessing her inability to continue life as an atheist, and that's all, then I'd like to reaffirm the fact that I have no desire to upbraid her for that. I'm criticizing an argument if there is one to be found here. The charge that God is the only path to meaning is false, and to borrow Rouser's example, a pragmatic appeal to religion as a means of social cohesion is not much better than the story of Voltaire telling his educated guests not to discuss atheism around the servants, lest they then set aside their moral compass and steal the silverware. It should be reiterated that her pragmatic case leaves out any defense of pragmatism, or even a vague allusion to its veracity. She only claims that Christianity is the best weapon against her enemies. So we should turn to the most interesting feature of her conversion, its overtly political nature. For her, the appeal of Christianity lies not in the message of Jesus or the truth of the Gospels, but its political utility. Quote, in this nihilistic vacuum, the challenge before us becomes civilizational. We can't withstand China, Russia, and Iran if we can't explain to our populations why it matters that we do. We can't fight woke ideology if we can't defend the civilization that it is determined to destroy. And we can't counter Islamism with purely secular tools. To win the hearts and minds of Muslims here in the West, we have to offer them something more than videos on TikTok. The lesson I learned from my years with the Muslim Brotherhood was the power of a unifying story, embedded in the foundational texts of Islam, to attract, engage, and mobilize the Muslim masses, unless we offer something as meaningful. I fear the erosion of our civilization will continue. Unfortunately, there's no need to look for some new age concoction of medication and mindfulness. Shots fired at Sam Harris. Christianity has it all. As one commenter put it, it's fascinating how her conversion is so openly a reactionary response to her cultural and geopolitical enemies. Columnist and researcher Shadi Hamid wrote about the phenomenon of the political convert, not about Ayan, but Andrew Tate. In his article, Embracing Islam to Own the Libs, he writes, Consider that when Tate explained why he chose Islam, he didn't mention theology, salvation, the Quran, the Prophet Muhammad, or anything to do with spirituality or faith. As Tate sees it, where Christianity in the West is weak, undemanding, and devoid of firm rules, Islam is exacting, masculine, and vigorous. It refuses to be mocked, and it refuses to accommodate itself to progressive norms, particularly when it comes to gender and the family. Where Christianity has, in effect, accepted defeat, Islam, Tate said in the same interview, feels like the last religion on earth, the only faith that stands a chance of mounting an effective resistance to moral decay and decline. Whether Tate himself is moral or wishes to be is secondary. End quote. For all their differences, both Tate and Ali's conversions represent a rejection of the progressive mainstream. They're resisting the norms and beliefs of cosmopolitan modernity and have found ideological refuge within religion. Their similarities arguably end there, but the overtly political nature of their conversions raises some interesting questions. Does Ayan's Christianity even rise to the level of C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity? Will she grow into sincere belief in the doctrines of Christianity over time? 
perhaps providing some vindication for doxastic voluntarists who assure us that we can choose to believe in God if we make the right decisions? Is her story a one-off, or is she a canary in the coal mine? She has a point when she says, quote, Russell and other activists believed that with the rejection of God, we would enter an age of reason and intelligent humanism. But the God hole, the void left by the retreat of the church, has merely been filled by a jumble of irrational quasi-religious dogma. I have a feeling a lot of people agree with that. So the first question is whether she's right that Christianity is an effective tool against these forces at work. And the second question is whether that will be convincing to the masses of people who probably agree with her politically. But one might see Ayan's conversion as further vindication of the death of God. Even the converts don't really believe anymore. If I were a Christian, I wouldn't exactly be flattered if someone said, yeah, what you believe is not really well, believable, but it's quite useful. In her case, the guiding light is liberalism, the Enlightenment, and Western civilization. She is a positively zealous believer in what the West represents to her, and this is absolutely crucial to understanding her conversion to Christianity. Ion may not believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus, but she believes in Western civilization, and she believes this is the best way, perhaps the only way, to save it from withering. Thank you for listening. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll see you next time.